God, we thank you for uh, this morning, or we thank you for what we've seen already in Andrew's baptism, and even as what we've sung about. We thank you that, Jesus, you have the power to save us. We thank you, God, that no one is too far gone. No one is outside of your grace. Lord, I pray that, um, Lord, you would remind us of, of the beauty of your kindness and your love towards us. Lord, I pray that all that you are would inspire and encourage us to talk to you more, even as a church, to pray to you, to seek your face. Lord, I pray that you'd use uh, the next couple of moments to teach us the importance of us as a church praying to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the topic today is when the church prays, what happens? Why should we as a church pray more uh, corporately and when we are together? In other words, why is praying personally and individually or privately, why is that not enough as a follower of Jesus? I'm taking us to uh, the book of Acts because uh, Luke, who has written both the gospel of Luke and Acts, is kind of like a two-volume, one set, talks a lot about prayer. In fact, when you look at the gospel of Luke and you compare Luke to Matthew, Mark, and John, Luke actually talks about prayer more than any of the gospel writers. Luke, in fact, highlights aspects of Jesus's prayer life more than any of, of the gospel writers. In fact, when you take a step back and you look at Luke and all of the different examples of prayer, the, the point that Luke seems to be making is this, is that if Jesus, the Son of God, the God in flesh, felt like he could do nothing on his own, what was so driven to pray, then how much more should we be driven to pray? It's almost as if there are times, and we would never say this out loud, but if you looked at our prayer lives both privately and even as a church, it almost feels like we think that we're more capable than Jesus himself. If you looked at all that Jesus did in his own prayer life, and then maybe how little we pray, it almost feels like we, we are dipping our toes into self-sufficiency as we live out the Christian life. And so you look at the Gospel of Luke, and that seems to be like one of his main points when you read that Gospel. And then you get to the second volume of his writing, which is the book of Acts. And you would think that Luke is going to start emphasizing on things that we need to be doing, right? This is the Acts of the Apostles. This is the church kind of set free, and they're going to be doing things for the kingdom of God. And yet, his topic and his theme of prayer is just as robust in Acts as it was in the Gospel of Luke. In fact, prayer is mentioned 31 times in 28 chapters of the book of Acts. Praying or prayer is mentioned or shown in 20 of the 28 chapters of the book of Acts. And one of the things that you, have a, you, you take away from the book of Acts is that this this demonstration of, of praying by the early church was absolutely fundamental to what they did. It was so important to the early church, and it was so important to the, to the life of Jesus. It was fundamental to who they were and, and what the church was all about. And so part of, part of doing a prayer worship morning is to make sure that we're not viewing prayer as something that's supplemental but to view prayer as something that should be fundamental to who we are as a church. Like, I don't want us to become a church that just views prayer as something that we do on the way to ministry, but prayer should be ministry. 
that prayer should be a focal point of what we do as a church because of what we see in Acts and because of what we see in the life of Jesus. And that's what we see in Acts, and, and it shows. If I give you one example, in Acts chapter 2, the early church leaders, they pray for 10 days and 3,000 people get saved. Now, that's not prescriptive. That's not like an equation of like, okay, we need to pray for 10 days and 3,000 people get saved in Hamilton County. But one of the takeaways when you read the whole book is it almost seems like for them, it's more important to talk to God about people than it is to talk to people about God. Like one of the big takeaways in Acts, it's like, man, there is something significant and unique that happens when the church gathers and prays. And so I just want to remind us of a couple of things that happen when the church gathers and prays. So many different passages I could point to in Acts, but we're going to be in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. And the word of God reads this way. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. This is the word of the Lord. I think three things that happen when the church prays. Here's uh, number one. When the church prays, I think prayer expresses our dependency upon the Lord. Prayer expresses our dependency upon the Lord. I know we're just jumping in uh, to Acts chapter 1. We haven't been in this book all year. So just to kind of catch you up on what has taken place, um, obviously Jesus has resurrected. And after he resurrected, he spent 40 days with his apostles and some of the early church leaders. Spent 40 days with them and he taught them about the kingdom of God taught them about the coming gift of the Holy Spirit, and he taught them about his mission of, of them being witnesses uh, throughout the whole world. Now, in talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit, he said that this gift is going to come, and I want you to, to wait for him. But he didn't, he didn't specify how long they were to wait for. They're just supposed to wait. And I think what we see in this passage is that in verse 9, Jesus ascends, and then verse 10, their waiting begins. And I think this passage is so helpful both for us as individuals, but also for us as a church, because the Christian life is about waiting. Like on the, on the macro level, the Christian life is about waiting for all that Jesus did to actually become a full reality in our lives. Theologians call that the already but not yet tension that we live in. In other words, what Jesus accomplished in the cross and in his resurrection was victory over sin, over death, over the enemy, but it hasn't been fully realized yet. Jesus hasn't returned yet. He hasn't made all things new yet. And so we live the Christian life waiting for that to occur. But even if you think about it on the micro level, think about your life personally. Doesn't your life feel like you're always waiting for something? However big or however small, I mean, you could be here this morning waiting for a health diagnosis and the results to come in. Maybe you're, you're here this morning and you're waiting for clarity about your career or about your job. 
Maybe you're waiting on the Lord to give you victory over a particular sin issue in your life. Maybe you're waiting for the Lord to to bring about a a godly spouse in your life, and you're waiting for him to provide. Maybe you're, you're waiting for him to provide reconciliation in a particular relationship in your life. Like it, it feels like our life is all about waiting. And what this passage helps us to see is what do the early church leaders do when they're waiting for God to come through and what he has promised to do? They're waiting for the Spirit to come. They know God's going to come through. But what do they do in the meantime? Well, I think it's important to see that there are two different kinds of waiting in Acts chapter 1. That, and, the, and the apostles demonstrate both kinds. First, they actually wait in what appears to be fear. In verse 9, we learn that Jesus has ascended up into heaven, and then in verse 10, the waiting begins. But notice what they do. They're waiting by gazing up at heaven, gazing up at the sky, probably wondering, like, is Jesus going to come back? Like, is our world crumbling before our very eyes? And they're waiting so much, probably in fear or some type of, of anxiety, that these angels have to come and they have to say, hey, stop gazing upward. You have a mission to do. You have an assignment that God has given you. You need to go wait in faith. And what they demonstrate here in verses 12 through 14 is that the apostles and these early church leaders, they go and they wait in faith by praying together. Now, this is important because when you pray together with other believers, you are expressing your neediness and your dependency upon God. That's exactly what they do. They travel three quarters of a mile to Jerusalem. They stay in this upper room. This upper room was most likely the same upper room that we've looked at in the Gospel of John. And they're sitting there waiting in faith to come through. And that is a picture of what the church should be about. That as we wait upon the Lord as a church with different church issues and a sense of direction, but also as individuals, when you have particular issues in your life that you need God to come through in, we wait together in prayer. Not just individually, not just with our families, but we come together with our requests and we say, God, would you work in this way? It was the priority of the early church, and I think praying together demonstrates that you grasp your neediness before God. I heard one pastor say that the core of effective prayer is not discipline, but it's desperation. Think about that for a moment. It's not, you don't start praying consistently when you've mastered the techniques of prayer. You start praying consistently when you understand your need and your desperation and your dependency upon God. I think prayer is arguably the most objective measurement we have for our dependency upon God. It's not what we say, but it's in how much we pray before the Lord. I've said this before, but I think it's true that the things that you pray about are the things that you trust God to handle. And the things that you don't pray about are the things that you trust yourself to handle. And so much of our pride and our self-sufficiency is exposed in how little we pray, both personally and even as a church together. And so prayer is important because it expresses our dependency upon God. Secondly, the second thing I want to point out is that prayer also unifies. It unifies. We notice here that the apostles are together and they're praying. 
Luke seems to emphasize the unity and the togetherness of these early church leaders because in five different occurrences in these three verses, he mentions that they are together. He uses the word they four times, uses all these referring to the 11 apostles once, and then he also lists out each of the apostles and some of the early church leaders that were there. He seems to be emphasizing that they're on the same page, and he does that in verse 14 by saying that they are of one accord as they devoted themselves to prayer. I think this is exactly what praying does. It takes a group of people, and it unifies them, and it fuses their hearts together. It takes something that's so spiritual, so intimate, like prayer, and it knits their hearts together, giving them one accord, one mind, and one heart. And I think the way that this is played out practically and you've experienced this as, as you've prayed with, with different people throughout your life, you get a group of people together. And what you are doing when you are praying together is you are saying, look, no matter what we have in common or what we don't have in common, the one common denominator we have in this group of people is that we're coming before the throne of grace in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ. Like that's why we say, in Jesus's name. That's not just some type of of equation for him to answer all of our prayers every single time. That's not just a traditional phrase. We say in Jesus's name because it's only by his blood that cleanses us, that gives us access before the throne of grace that we can have confidence that he not only hears us, but he's actually active in what we say. So when you get a group of people And it doesn't matter where they are politically, doesn't matter what kind of sports teams they root for, doesn't matter what kind of life stage that they're in, doesn't matter what they disagree about. When you come in Jesus's name, it unifies our hearts because we are saying Jesus is the only way and the only means by which we can even talk to the God and the creator of the universe. We see this in in all kinds of different examples, the fact that hearts are fused together when they're gazing at the same object. See that every week in sporting events, you see that at concerts, and you also see that when the church prays. When we are together and we are looking at the beauty of Jesus saying he is our only answer. It's interesting here when you look at where the early church leaders are in in Acts chapter 1, they've got a really difficult decision to make. At the end of chapter one, they're trying to to find a replacement for Judas. And imagine, like we kind of glossed over that, like, oh yeah, no big deal. But that could have been potentially divisive, if you think about it. Like I'm sure all 11 guys had their own um, kind of person in mind who could take that spot. And yet what we see them doing is in verse 24, they're, they're praying together about that decision. And the Lord guides them and provides the clarity that they need to choose Matthias Uh, to replace Judas. And I think praying together unifies a group of people. And then thirdly, the last thing that I'll point out about what prayer does is prayer actually connects us to the power of God. I love Acts chapter 1. It's such a challenge for me because I look at um, verse 8 in particular, and as Jesus gives the apostles his mission for them, his assignment for them, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I think about, man, if I were them, I would feel like that is an overwhelming assignment. Like that is so daunting to think about for a moment. I feel like my first step, the first thing that I would do 
is I would probably sign up for the next leadership conference. Like I would want some more training. I'd want, okay, I need to develop some type of strategy to, to live out this mission. Like we need a 20-year plan. Like how are we going to implement and, and actually succeed at this mission? And yet what you see the apostles do here, the first thing is that they pray together. See, for them, prayer connects them to the power of God. Prayer is not inactivity, but I think prayer unleashes God's activity in our midst. Prayer is not getting God to do our will, but it's opening our hearts up for God to do his will in and through us. I think it's been said before that when we work, we work, but when we pray, God works. And even as what we've seen throughout uh, John's gospel, it's, it's funny to be here at Acts as they're in the upper room, most likely the same upper room. And we've heard what Jesus has said about the Holy Spirit so far. Like we've, we've heard that, that the Holy Spirit is the power of God. He even says that in chapter 1, verse 8 of Acts. And we also know in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, that one of the most significant roles of the Holy Spirit is he helps us to pray. And so when you put those two pieces together, the Holy Spirit's the power of God. When we pray, the, the Holy Spirit's helping us to pray. And it seems like it's easy to conclude that when we pray, we are connecting ourselves to the power of God in a unique way. And just imagine, though, that's true personally, but as the church gathers together and we have the Holy Spirit who resides in each of us, and we are connecting ourselves to the power of God when we pray, how much more should we see God at work in our midst? And so just thinking about just the power of God, what you see in the early church throughout the book of Acts, I think the question that we as a church need to wrestle with is this, that if God were to work in a powerful way through our praying together, which environment would that be in? Where would we see God show up and do something powerful because we're praying together? See, Sunday mornings, we, we don't do a lot of praying together. Like we hear a sermon, we sing songs, we might get one or two guys up here that's praying. But we don't do a lot of praying together where God can sweep in and do something powerful in our midst like we see him doing throughout the early church. And so for us, I think the, the two main ways, the two main environments where we can experience the power of God when we pray together is, is through small groups. When, when the church kind of breaks up into different small groups throughout the week and you're praying together. And then also our monthly prayer worship nights. I mean, we do these monthly prayer worship nights not, not because it's, it's, it's a habit of doing it, but that is really the, the primary environment where we are saying, hey, as a church, we're just going to seek the Lord's face together. Like we want God to show up like he did in the book of Acts. And so we're going to gather together and we're going to pray and we're going to sing some songs together. And that's the environment where we expect God to work, to answer prayer, to provide direction and wisdom and strength and power where we need him the most. And so because that's, that's our vision, that's why we stress the fact you need to be in a small group and you need to come to these prayer worship nights because that's where we think we can experience God at work when we pray together. And so can I just exhort you and challenge you to, to bend your calendar as a family or as an individual around the prayer worship nights to really believe that, yeah, this is, this is really important 
not just praying as a family or as individuals, but there seems to be something unique that happens when the church gathers to pray. And I just want to encourage you and challenge you to, to make sure that your calendar reflects that when we offer that, because God has given us the mechanism of prayer to unite us, to express our dependency, and to connect us to the power of God. Let's pray together as we close. God, we thank you for all that Jesus has done for us. We thank you that he has given us access in order to approach you, not only to approach you, but have confidence before you. And that's not because of our own morality. It's not because we're having a good day spiritually or because we're at church today, but that confidence is securely found in Jesus and what he has accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection. God, he gives us authority to even talk to you, for you to even to hear uh, from us. And Lord, help the amount of our praying to reflect that we actually believe that we have access to you. God, we wanna be a church that seeks not only your hand and asks you for things, but to seek your face, to be stunned by your beauty and your glory. So God, continue to, to fashion that in our church, we pray in Jesus' name.